0: In terms of the ceremonies this morning, uh, the way that the Palm Sunday is, obviously, with the, with the palms, we start off with the blessing of the palms. So I have some palms that I'll bless here. Those are for the altar boys. At the same time, I have the intention of blessing all the palms and branches that people brought here. So you hold them up during the blessing, but don't worry if a child or somebody forgets to hold them up. They're blessed because I intend to bless them. So it isn't like if I'm not holding it up, it's not blessed. They'll be blessed. So what will happen is we'll start with that. I'll bless them. We'll uh, sprinkle those with holy water and then incense them. And then we go around. It's kind of like a really heavy-duty asparagus where you, you kind of make a full lap around all the aisles with the woolly water. And then the same thing with incense. Then then all the b- branches and palms are blessed here. And in the ritual, it actually has, like you'll hear, well, for those of you that listen to Latin, it'll say palms and other branches. That's actually what happens. So those will be uh, blessings. So I have the intention of blessing them all in church. Then we'll, uh, after that, uh, we'll, we'll come back and, uh, and I'll, I'll give the palm branches to the altar boys. It's like communion for them. And then wash my hands. Then we'll sing the gospel that I just read to you, the gospel of Palm Sunday. After that, we'll, I'll say prochidamus in pace, which means let us proceed in peace, and we'll lead the way. The thurifer. The Crossbearer and the Acolytes and myself and all the other altar boys will go along. And the choir will meet up with us. And then we're all going to go. The front rows go out first as we go on by. You go out, just genuflect, and, and go behind us. And we're going to go out right out the door, go to the right. We're going to go the, on a close lane here in the parking lot, make a curve down the far lane in the parking lot, and back and back in. And we'll come back in then. And... Uh, and as we as we come back in, then we'll get up here and, and after we'll there's one more blessing. Then after everybody gets in, then that particular blessing pertains to having these things uh, scare away devils, which is kind of cool. And then after that, uh, mass will start. Now in mass uh, it it's the same basically except the the, the gospel in the mass is sung it's the passion so father will be come out of the confessional for that and for communion he'll come out to sing the passion because we sing there's different parts for that and there's no last gospel today so that's the other difference so that's that's what you can see in the ceremonies okay so that's explanation of what's going to happen now what does it all mean well We could preach on any one of these things for a long time. We'll make a few remarks about the first Palm Sunday and then a few remarks about the meaning of the ceremonies. We've heard this all before, but it bears repeating. We'll start with a route that our Lord chose to go up into Bethlehem that we just heard in the reading just now. On Palm Sunday, our Lord goes up to Jerusalem from Bethany. Now, Bethany means the house of ripe figs. It's the hometown of Martha. Mary and Lazarus and it's also where during all of Holy Week our Lord will come back from Jerusalem and stay and spend the night until of course Holy Thursday when he's captured but he's coming up from Bethany, staying in Bethany, the house of ripe figs and coming up in Jerusalem but he travels through Bethphage on the way to Jerusalem every day. Bethphage means the house of unripe green figs. So what? What does this mean? Well, if we turn back the clock to about a year before Holy Week, earlier in his public ministry, our Lord had warned the multitudes, unless you repent, you will all perish. And immediately after he made that warning, immediately after the solemn warning from our Lord, saying, unless you repent, you'll all perish, he then told him a parable. Our Lord, quote, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, "Lo, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground?" And the vine dresser answered him, saying, "Let it alone, sir. This year also, till I dig about it and put on manure. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down." Close quote. The multitudes knew exactly what our Lord was talking about in this parable. Fig tree is one of the signs, symbols of the Jewish people. He's warning them to bring forth fruits of repentance. In the parable, the man who owns the vineyard stands for God the Father. The vine dresser stands for Christ our Lord. The fig tree stands for the Jewish nation, which, of course, our Lord has spent some three and a half years trying to get good fruits to come forth from them. So what does this have to do with Palm Sunday and his path into Jerusalem? He's coming up from Bethany, the house of ripe figs, a town where he has found fruits of repentance in such people as Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he's coming up to Jerusalem, but he doesn't come from there. He goes to Bethphage, this house of unripe green figs to the holy city. It's a symbolic warning. And the day after Palm Sunday... What does he do? As he's coming up through Jerusalem, through Bethphage, he stops and searches for fruit on a fig tree. And when he finds none, he curses it and it withers and dies. Why is he cursing it? It's a symbolic and a frightening ending to this parable. He's showing them by his actions. What's going on? He sought fruit on that fig tree and found none. Just as for three and a half years, he's been seeking good fruit from his people. It's obvious what he's saying to his people by these actions. Where are your fruits of repentance? What about our Lord riding up on an ass in the cult of an ass? What's all that about? This is a fulfillment of a prophecy of Zacharias that was quoted in St. Matthew's Gospel today. The fathers point out, that our Lord first rode on the ass for a while, then he got off her, and he got on the colt and rode the colt into town. Why? The ass was broke to ride, but the colt wasn't. The ass was a symbol of the Jews who had been subject to God and his law, and the colt represented the Gentiles who had been running wild. When our Lord rode the ass briefly and then got off and rode in on the colt, he was again symbolically warning the Jews... You're about to be rejected, and the Gentiles are going to take your place. So what's with the palms? In the olden days, for both Jews and Gentiles, palms symbolized victory and triumph. For example, if we look in the books in the Old Testament of Leviticus and 1 Maccabees, we can see palms used by the Jews for just these purposes, as we see today in our Lord's psalm entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Champions at Roman games got palm branches. Palms were also used in the great triumphs by which a Roman emperor would celebrate his victories. We still see this, uh, this idea in Christian art and writing. For example, in stained glass windows or holy cards of martyrs, oftentimes you'll see the martyr standing there holding a palm. Or you'll read about the martyr and say he won the palm of victory. What's it stand for? The palm stands for the martyr's triumphal victory over death. That's why you'll see him standing there. If you see, uh, then that's, what it, that's what that's standing for in Christian art. Now, there's a lot more. But we'll just take a moment to consider the symbolism of what all we're doing here. The procession outside and then back into the church. On one level, on the first level, the most basic level, represents our Lord's entry into Jerusalem. But on another level, it also represents his triumphal entry into the heavenly Jerusalem. This, as I mentioned before, was a lot easier to see until Pius XII changed Holy Week ceremonies in late 1955. Because before then, when the procession would arrive back at church, the doors would be closed. Inside So the procession stops at the church doors. Inside the church, you have a choir, and they're singing this beautiful hymn, we'll hear it today, Glory, Laus, and Honor, Tibi, sit Rex, Christi, Redemptor, which means glory, uh, praise, and honor be unto thee, O Christ, King, and Redeemer. So they're inside, singing this through the closed doors. Then the choir outside answers the choir inside. The choir outside represents the church militant, the choir inside represents the church triumphant. Inside it's representing the angels in heaven singing. Outside it's representing mankind and the church militant. But you can't get into heaven, our Lord till our Lord Ascension Thursday, heaven's closed, huh? So they sing the hymn back and forth through closed doors. After the whole hymn is sung, then the, the, the cross bearer bangs on the doors with the cross and the doors open up. They're thrown open, and that symbolizes the opening of heaven by the holy cross of our Lord and his ascension, leading the members of the church militant to have triumph over sin, carrying their palms up into the heavenly Jerusalem, joining the angels then in the ranks of the church triumphant. Okay, right after that, then during the course of the Mass, we have the singing of the Passion. Now I'll just point out something. The Passion ends with some music called the Involvit. The Involvit, which means the rapping or winding. During the Involvit, if you listen to it, you don't have to understand Latin because the melody itself is a musical expression of the winding of linens around our Lord's body. It's right at the very, very end. You won't miss it because all of a sudden all the, mu- the music changes. Even It doesn't matter how, how a poor singers we are. You can still pick that part out. Okay? Then there's another change in this part of the Divine Liturgy before these changes in Holy Week, during the singing of the Passion, we'd all stand there and hold our palms. Why? It symbolized that although our Lord's disciples abandoned him during the Passion, we'd be faithful to him until the end. Now, it's worth thinking about these changes for a moment. Why? Why? Because for the past 50 years, we no longer open the closed doors of the church by banging on on them with the cross. So what? Well, that means that, liturgically speaking, for the past 50 years, we have no longer been clearly declaring that by means of the Holy Cross, and only by means of the Holy Cross, can we get into heaven. And for the past 50 years, we no longer hold up the palms during the singing of the Passion. So what? Well, that means that liturgically speaking, we're no longer clearly declaring that we're going to remain faithful to Christ even during the passion of his mystical body, the church here on earth. And I think those liturgical changes are absolutely prophetic. I think they're absolutely prophetic. The singing of the passion reminds us that between the triumphal procession Of our Lord into Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and his triumphal procession to the heavenly Jerusalem on Ascension Thursday, our Lord had to suffer his agony and his passion. That ought to give every one of us pause. Because in the first place, we put him through all that, we put him through that by our sins. In second place, because as Catholics, as members of the one true religion, our Lord has the same exact message for us as he did for the multitudes of the Jews. He's been coming to look for fruits of repentance in our lives during this holy season of Lent. He's warned each one of us time and time again, unless you repent, you will surely perish. In the third place, just as our Lord used his path up into Jerusalem just to use a fig tree and an ass and a colt to warn the Jewish people, symbolically, of his collective judgment of them. So also he's given us, Catholics, very clear indications of his collective judgment of us. Very clear indications. Let's consider three. First, at the eighth station of the cross, our Lord says to the weeping women, Don't weep for me, weep for your children. For there will come a time when they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never gave suck. In other words, he's telling the women they should weep for the people that live in that time. In the time when our Lord will come again looking for fruit, fruit of the womb, babies. But instead of finding those fruits, he'll find people, his own people, who say, blessed are the barren. He'll find people that actually think it is better to not have children, to be sterilized, to contracept, or even to abort those fruits. He's telling the women of Jerusalem to weep for the people in that time, the time when they will not bring forth the fruits he expects. And you don't need me to tell you that we're living in that time. Second, one of the most precious fruits that our Lord absolutely loves and he seeks from his people are religious congregations full of obedient and fervent holy men and women living a life of holy religion. But what is he finding? We'll just consider the male congregations. Here in the United States of America, Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Jesuit seminarians decreased by 89%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of OFM seminarians, that's Franciscan minors, decreased by 97%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Benedictine seminarians decreased by 93%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Redemptor seminarians decreased by 98%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Dominican seminarians decreased by 89%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Maryknoll seminarians decreased by 98%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of OMI, that's the Oblates of Mary Immaculate seminarians decreased by 99%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Vincentian seminarians decreased by 97%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of OFM, Order of Friar Minor, conventional seminarians decreased by 90%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Passionist seminarians decreased by 99%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Holy Cross seminarians decreased by 70%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Augustinian seminarians decreased by 97% between 1965 and 2000, the number of OFM Capuchin seminarians decreased by 91%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Precious Blood seminarians decreased by 95%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of La Let seminarians decreased by 99%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Carmelite seminarians decreased by 92%. Between 1965 and 2000, the number of Holy Ghost seminaries decreased by 94%. What sort of fruits are these? And before we go pointing any fingers, are each of us praying for vocations to the priesthood and the religious life? Finally, finally, Our Lord is also giving Catholics a very clear indication of his collective judgment of us by the general state of the church. As St. John Eudes explains, quote, The most evident mark of God's anger and the most terrible castigation he can inflict upon the world are manifested when he permits his people to fall into the hands of clergy who are priests more in name than in deed. When God permits such things, it is a very positive proof. It is a very positive proof that he is thoroughly angry with his people and is visiting his most dreadful anger upon them. Close quote. God's warning us. Collectively, as a Catholic people, he is thoroughly angry with us. We each need to bring forth fruits of repentance. We each need to get serious about sanctity. If anyone here does not have a burning desire to become a saint, then start praying for that right now. Not later, not tomorrow, right now. As St. Alphonsus says, quote, He who wishes to reach the top of a high mountain will never reach it if he has not a great desire to do so. What have you come to do in the house of God? To become a saint? And what are you doing? Why do you lose the time? Tell me, do you desire to become a saint? If you do not, it is sure that you will never become one. If, then, you have not this desire, ask Jesus Christ for it. Ask Mary for it. And if you have it, take courage. Close quote. Pray for the desire to become a saint. Pray for a burning desire to become a saint. We each need to bring forth fruits of repentance. We each need to get serious about sanctity. We each need to become holy. And by means of holiness, then we can each win the glorious palm of victory and follow Christ our Lord in his glorious, triumphal procession into heaven. Let's commit ourselves, each one of us, right here and right now, to holiness.